Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another session uh, of our weekly SACPA. Uh, during this time of social and physical distancing, SACPA believes it's important to keep engaging with the public on issues of the day. And in order to do so, we are very thankful for the continuing support we receive from both the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight, and the Lethbridge Herald. Today, we have Brandy Ray with us from Edmonton. Uh, Brandy Ray is going to talk to us about the issues uh, that kids going back to school are facing and as usual during COVID-19. I think her presentation is called Students, Parent Education, COVID. What can go wrong and what can go right? Question mark. Brandy has a passion for public education to ensure it prepares children to be leaders in our world. Brandy attended her first Alberta School Council Association annual general meeting in 2014, was elected as board director in 2016, elected vice president in 2018, and became the Alberta School Council Association president in 2020. Brandy steadfastly believes parent voice in education, both locally and provincial, is crucial to students' success. Brandy, thank you so much for joining us today, and we look forward to your talk. So thank you so very much for having me this morning. And yes, so I am Brandy, and I am the president of ASCA. Um, next slide, please. But first and always, I am the mother to these five muffins. And while this is an older picture, they are still little babies to me. And that is my partner, and he is a teacher. Um, so it is easy to say that public education is in most aspects of our daily lives and that public education is very near and dear to us. Um, and in the middle, that is my best child, as I tease our other children, and we affectionately refer to her as the poop panda. And in our family, it is Oilers or nothing, according to the majority of us anyway. Um, and so uh, today, if you hear some noises in the background, my five children are home because they are online learning um, for the first quarter this year. And while I reminded them that I am in a presentation, they may need me at some point. So thanks for bearing with me with that. Um, so next slide, please. So the Alberta School Councils Association has been around in some form for more than 90 years. Our members are school councils all across our province, and we represent over 1,000 school councils. Um, spanning public, separate, charter, and francophone authorities. And it's good to remember that school councils include parents, community members, and staff. And all parents and guardians of a school community are members of that school council. And so there are thousands of parents on school councils across our province. And so section 55 of the Education Act enshrines school councils in legislation along with supporting regulations. So next slide, please. So this is just an excerpt of section 55, and I want to draw attention to the overarching role of school councils. And so school councils advise the principal and board on any matters relating to the school, and they consult with the principal on the school budget, and they conduct their business as authorized under the regulations. School councils are vital voices in school communities, locally and provincially. Uh, next slide, please. And so ASCA is the provincial organization representing parents on school councils in Alberta. And we are engaged with multiple stakeholders at varying levels of consultation and engagement. So with the education ministry, um, the education minister is currently uh, Minister Adriana LaGrange, and we advocate alongside partners such as CAS, which represents superintendents, ASBA trustees, ASBOA secretary treasurers, the ATA teachers, ASCA independents, um, TAA PCS charters, and FPFA francophone. So we are not limited to these partners, and we collaborate, consult, or engage with a variety of other organizations who are also working towards student success. And when we are at the education ministry's table um, or engaging with any of our education partners, we are lifting up parent voice through school councils to that table. Uh, next slide, please. So um, this is uh, the, just the front page of our vision path. And so our mission is to engage and empower Alberta school councils while advocating for the parent voice in the education system. And our vision is a respected and empowered school council in every Alberta school. Our belief is that parents are recognized and respected as knowledgeable, supportive contributors to their children's education and are provided a variety of opportunities to be authentically engaged in all levels of the education system. Um, next slide, please. 
So hashtag parents are partners in education. We live this. We tweet it. We remind our stakeholders every chance we get, and we empower our members to lean into their power as parents to make the best decisions for their children and to shape the education system into a better system for all students. Next slide, please. So we operate with a governance board of directors overseeing an executive director, staff, and instructors. So our board has a handful of committees such as governance, internal finance, legacy, recognition awards, member engagement, and advocacy. And board members represent ASCA on a variety of external stakeholder engagements, including opportunities related to transportation, curriculum redesign, consortia, and reentry to school during COVID. And there's many more. Our members drive our advocacy in a number of ways, including creating position statements for us to use when we speak with the ministry and other stakeholders. And this is the cover of our advocacy manual. And it says 2019 because our members update our manual at AGM at our AGM in April. However, COVID led us to a delayed timeline for our resolution process, which I will touch on a bit later. So some of our previously passed resolutions that became statements we continuously advocate for include 183C. And that is support for learning success of all students, uh, class size and composition. And this states that we will advocate to the Ministry of Education that class size and composition must be considered when determining what supports and resources are needed to teach in a classroom based on the needs of the student and the classroom teacher. And so I have often spoke about class sizes lately with respect to safety of students and staff in terms of social distancing in the classroom as they reenter school this fall. But this position statement has been with us for years because even before COVID, class sizes were not ideal for facilitating learning for all students. Another is 17-1, which is support for mental health content and awareness in the K-12 curriculum in schools. And this is an extensive statement, but a snippet says that the Alberta education include mandatory comprehensive mental health content in the curriculum for all grades with parent involvement that educates about disorders, symptoms, and strategies for coping. And yet another is 10-6, which is the elimination of school fees, which we have advocated for for years. And we did have some movement um, with the previous NDP government in the form of Bill 1, which was an act to reduce school fees. And so our position statement requests that the provincial government is responsible for funding a basic education, thus eliminating the ability of boards to apply fees to costs associated with the provision of a basic education. Additionally, we requested that Alberta Ed make available to all authorities and school councils any research that has been compiled pertaining to basic education delivery and school fees. So um, these are just a smidge of the statements that we bring to those tables, but they are impactful and they are important and they help students succeed. Um, so we have two hands that work together and separately to support our school council members. Our governance board focuses on advocacy for our members and raising position statements up to stakeholders, while our staff and instructors provide valuable resources such as workshops for school council members. Next slide, please. So there are tons of resources available on our website, albertaschoolcouncils.ca. We also have an e-news with information, resources, messages from our board, and opportunities for school councils to participate in topics through a task force. As you explore our website and the resources, you may be interested in our meeting Mondays or our webinar Wednesdays. So meeting Mondays are one-hour virtual meetings offered two times, 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. on the last Monday of the month, September through November. And these online meetings create a forum for school council parents to learn, share information, and support each other. And that community that they build is very wonderful. On September 28th, I will attend along with our Vice President and um, Shelley Odishaw and our Executive Director, Wendy Kiever, to discuss our October 17th general meeting. And then Webinar Wednesdays are one-hour sessions offered two times, and they are the same topic of learning at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. starting September 16th through November 25th. These online training sessions focus on topic areas specific to the work of school councils. And so September uh, topics include the work of school councils. It's not about the meeting. And September 16th, charter schools in Alberta and September 20 on September 23rd, and then on September 30th, school council purpose. So both of these options will have their winter, their winter schedules posted in December and registration is required for attendance at both of those opportunities. And then finally, I had mentioned that our school council engagement task force 
Um, and this is an opportunity for councils to engage with our board in advisory capacity by discussing and responding to targeted topics and questions three to four times throughout the year. Uh, next slide, please. So I mentioned those workshops. And so we offer workshops for school councils, groups of school councils, school division administrators, such as principals and school boards, as well as fundraising associations. And so councils and COSCs, which are councils of school councils, can access as many workshops as they need throughout a year, as well as receive personalized support. And and school boards and principals can access the workshops as free professional development for how to effectively engage their parents through school councils. Councils and administrators can access workshops at no cost and fundraising societies can receive guidance and support also through our programming at a cost. We currently offer 23 workshops. And I want to highlight just one of our workshops for councils. It is the workshop of school council. It is not about the meeting. And so school councils struggle with identifying the types of activities they should be doing in order to truly fulfill their legislated role. And in this workshop, councils are encouraged to examine what they are doing with their intended purpose and the result of their work. And they also consider alternative means of including their school community for those many parents who are unable to attend the meetings. This is vital now more than ever as we are navigating work interactions and education through the ever-changing landscape of a global pandemic and councils need to be conducting their business and engaging with parents in meaningful often non-traditional ways so a great workshop for administrators is the school council trustee relationship and so understanding this relationship is vital to assist councils and trustees in furthering their roles in the communities school councils should understand their role of should understand their role and the role of the school board trustees and their trustees should be aware of their role in relation to school councils. A trustee is a valued partner who can share board information with parents they represent and gather valuable parent perspective from school councils. And again, this is exceptionally crucial right now given the education climate and the many decisions that boards have to make with regard to students participating in in-person school and online learning this year. So we've touched on how the board advocates and we've touched on how staff coordinate learning opportunities and other workshops. Let's quickly touch on how members create policy positions for advocacy. Next slide, please. So um, these sheets are available on our website as well and I'm not going to go through them, but I will offer a high level discussion of this process. So parents on a school council notice an area they may have a concern about or they want to have captured in legislation that is a provincial issue. An example would be school fee transparency. Their council discusses a possible resolution, submits the resolution to ASCA within the process and timelines outlined, and then ASCA works with that school council for any edits or background information that might be needed. And then all the resolutions go out in a package to the members for a pre-vote. The pre-vote determines which resolutions are print presented as an omnibus motion for the membership at the general meeting. At the general meeting, the resolutions, whether omnibus or individual, are presented to the members and they vote. They can amend the resolution as well until the resolution is either passed into policy or defeated on the floor. Once those resolutions pass into policy, they are then position statements that our board advocates for. Next slide, please. So we have a general meeting on October 17th to discuss the resolutions that came to our members for our AGM that was hosted in April. And we deferred the discussion into the fall until, and with hopes that the landscape would have changed. However, we will be hosting this meeting virtually the same as we did our AGM in April. And typically at our AGM in April is when our members would have discussed the resolutions. And this is yet another thing that, has, that COVID has changed for families and education this year. Next slide, please. So just a few months ago, um, many of us were plodding along as parents, volunteering in our school, working, carting our children to and from a half dozen extracurricular activities, you know, experiencing a typical school year in Alberta. Next slide, please. And then a global pandemic happened. And for many of us, our worlds froze as we collectively tried to learn how to protect our vulnerable, how to maintain an economy, and how to live in a world with a virus that we knew nothing about and have no vaccine for. And it can be easy to shift our narrative to what does school look now that look like now that COVID is in our daily vernacular. But before we do that, I believe it is crucial to look at how public education already had some gaps in the system. Next slide, please. Gonna take a small break. Thank you. So, from our organization standpoint, public education, with all its many choices and its wonderful opportunities, was already leaving students behind. So, crowded classrooms, 
school buildings that need some extra TLC, children with learning needs and limited support, lack of assessment for children with learning needs, lack of funding for all facets of education, including buildings, maintenance, staffing, support staff. All of this existed before COVID spread through our communities. The outdated curriculum, the gaps related to mental health for staff and students and family, all of this existed before COVID. Inequities within the system between the haves and the have-not schools, even within the same district, existed before COVID. Racism, sexism, ableism, and discrimination against queer students and family and staff all existed before COVID. And all of these things were right there waiting for us as we re-entered school this fall. Next slide, please. And so throughout these last few months, our organization has worked with stakeholders and the ministry to create a re-entry plan for students. The guidelines have been refined and many partners have had the chance to help shape them for the safety of students and staff. ASCA has continued to consult with the ministry and other major education stakeholders, as well as the Chief Medical Officer of Health. We have always collaborated with our partners and the ministry to support students, but our last few months have been dedicated to the safety of staff and students related to COVID and reentry. We have worked diligently to create guidelines, refine reporting processes, and put family choice first. But those gaps that were there, they have widened, friends. Now we have those same overcrowded classrooms, now with children and staff wearing masks in hope that a layer of PPE will prevent them from contracting a virus that can decimate their lives or the lives of their loved ones in the communities. We continue to have students with learning needs who do not have the support staff they need, and we continue to have students who are navigating their classes with no assessment to even identify their learning needs. We have put valuable resources toward additional cleaning supplies and hand sanitizers, and then the burden on teachers to ensure additional cleaning happens and health protocols are followed. We have continued to stretch children, teachers, administrators, and families so thin that anxiety and exhaustion have grown while the resources desperately needed to, um, to maintain the system have continued to dwindle. And while many of us have been so grateful to have the opportunity for our children to learn online this year, while still being connected to their school and to their board and to public education, that opportunity was not even a viable choice for many families across the province. So while families with immunodeficient members or those who live in multi-generational homes or those worried about the long-term impacts of a contraction of COVID, since we do not yet know what this virus will look like and how it will affect children long-term, those families did not have the ability to choose an online option for their children, despite their concerns and despite their high risk. Their work obligations and responsibilities and, oh yeah, the real need to keep the lights on and food on the table outweighed the ability of them to have their children stay home to online learn. And within the system, it has been a monumental task for many districts and specifically our larger authorities to manage the large number of students who chose the online option. I'm not talking 500, 5,000 students. I'm talking between two of our larger districts alone, there are approximately 50,000 students online learning. So committing staff and resources and setting up the infrastructure to provide a quality, equitable education for those families and the support those students may need has been a huge undertaking. And while kinks are still being worked out, we must really acknowledge the innovation of our school boards, the adaptability of our teachers, support staff and administrators, and the resilience of our students, both in class and learning online. So just outside the system, on the edges of education are other components of life in Alberta. So there is not clarity around job security for families who will need to isolate because of positive tests in their school community. For example, how many times can I stay home this year to isolate if my young child is sent home because of a positive case at their school and I have no other option for childcare other than missing work? There is also not clarity around teachers and their work in relation to how many times they can isolate or be on sick leave because of positive cases in their school or because they have become infected. Where is their job security as they risk the health of themselves and their families? And also, on the outer edge, but yet so deeply connected, is the toll that COVID is taking on women. Women in the workforce are disproportionately impacted by children needing to isolate or experiencing online learning as opposed to in person. Additionally, other women in their families are filling in gaps related to childcare and helping with learning. So that's grandmothers, aunts, and family friends are coming to assist working parents navigate education and COVID. 
the work of the home and children has always disproportionately impacted women. Now add in a global pandemic, and it is no wonder that many of the mothers, grandmothers, and aunties and teachers I speak with, they are anxious, fatigued, and overwhelmed. Next slide, please. So as decisions were made, school councils were not consulted by their schools or boards due to the unprecedented education experience unfolding. And we understand that. We know that things were moving very fast. So um, our education system ground to an entire halt in one day. And then we tried to pick up the pieces across the various intersections of students, parents, teachers, and admin, all so that some siblings of education would carry us through until summer and until more was known about COVID. Next, please. So as schools have reopened and as families have decided in-person or online learning, there is a great opportunity for boards and schools to work with their local school councils to create the best possible outcomes for students during this pandemic. We have encouraged partners to engage with their school councils and really lift that parent voice up to the forefront of the decisions they are making. And we are not all gloom and doom as we return to school. Many families have reached out to express their gratitude for having familiar routines for their children. There is the mental well-being of children that families also weigh along with the risks of COVID. And many children need to return to in-person classes to have consistency of routine, connectivity to peers, and the learning environment of a teacher in class helping guide their learning. Those families have said that they know the risk and they are grateful for a chance to return to school to continue to balance their jobs, their lives, and their children's experiences against the weight of COVID. So teachers, while no doubt overworked, stretched thin, exhausted, and overwhelmed, they too are happy, as parents are, to have their students back in the classroom. Teachers are in the profession of guiding, assisting and encouraging students to grow into wonderful global citizens and they are in their element in the classroom helping students. There are many positives happening in education in 2020 and those silver linings cannot be dismissed. In a world of chaos and uncertainty we must lean into the good and relish the happy bits with gratitude for the opportunities and gratitude for the joy that education brings to our province. And while we have to remain as physically distanced as we can and wear PPE and wash our hands and sanitize, we also have to be conscious of how our choices inside and outside the school impacts our communities on a grander scale this year. But those problems that we discussed, they existed within education long before this virus interrupted our lives. And those problems have the unique opportunity to come to the forefront and be fixed in meaningful ways because we have to keep the students and staff safe actually safe now from a virus that can kill them. So next slide, please. Um, so let me be clear. This is not a current school board problem or a current government problem. Chronic underfunding of a world-class growing educa education system has existed for decades. We have great opportunity to collaborate with our current government and stakeholders to bring these issues to the forefront under the lens of a global pandemic and make systemic changes that help students survive and thrive during school in 2020. So I look forward to questions and discussions today about concerns and solutions or hopes that we have for our student. And thank you so very much for this opportunity. And the next slide just contains some of our contact information. Thank you. Wonderful, thanks very much. That was a Fabulous presentation, and we've already got quite a few, well, a couple of questions. So feel free, everybody, to give more of your questions um, in the chat on YouTube. And our first question today comes from Bev Mundell. What resolutions came out in your last AGM related to COVID in schools? Um, and so there are several, and I'm sorry that I don't have them right here with me, but there's an entire package. And so if you go to our website, which is albertaschoolcouncils.ca, um, they are available there. And additionally, if um, you're a parent on a, on a school council and you look at that package and you say, you know, there's some issues that weren't covered, we actually have an emergent resolution process um, with a deadline. Uh, fast approaching so that school councils can submit those emergent resolutions because to be very honest, since January, um, education has changed drastically and that was our original deadline. So um, 
but there are some related to funding. There's different ones um, that are already there. Um, but to be frank, um, we've never we've never advocated through a pandemic before. So there's lots of opportunity for additional emergent resolutions to come forward that can help make education better this year. Thank you so much for your question. Um, our next question comes from Tim from the Lethbridge Herald. Um, Private businesses and public buildings across the province have had to add more of their own resources to clean and sanitize their spaces to keep doors open. How are schools any different? Well, schools are not for profit. And so businesses, whether private or, or um, you know, much larger on scale, um, they, they are for profit. They are for profit profit businesses and schools simply are not so schools um, especially public education they are they are meant to be equitable and accessible for all students in the province and so um, the resources that they that they use should be going into the classroom and so provincially and federally the government should be putting more dollars into education and they should have been doing it for years now um, but right now whenever the actual lives of student staff and community members are on the line money should be going into schools to help create safer spaces. Our next question is from Knut Peterson. What are your thoughts on the announcement by the UCP government lifting the cap on establishing new charter schools, thereby creating a, the potential for unlimited such schools in the context of COVID? So I really believe that parent voice and choice in education is, is very important and that's why I'm here serving today. Um, that being said, it is my understanding that we had never met the cap before. So there was a cap on charter schools and we had never met that cap before. And so I do believe that there are so many choices within public education um, that there will not be an abundance of charter schools created because there is extensive alternative programming already happening uh, within the districts across the province. And so I understand that um, that the government made that decision and they wanted to really emphasize uh, parent choice and education. And I think that um, for at least for most of the families that I've spoken with in my tenure um, with this organization, uh, they already believe that there is extensive choice in education and they and they support that choice that already exists. And so I have no problem with the cap being lifted. And I think that um, maintaining the parent choice is important. Okay, our next question comes from Beth Mundo. CBE has about 40,000 students doing online learning, which has taken student teachers out of the classroom. Lack of online teachers has delayed the start of online classes. Grade 12s are worried about catching up content in time for provincial exams. Does your council intervene? So, okay, that's a really good question. And so um, we are actually a governance board that advocates. And so we're not technically a council and we wouldn't have any inter intervention capacity. But what we can do is advise, continue to advise stakeholders, which we're already having conversations at that table around um, the high stakes of you know, of uh, the system switching to quarters for some of the older students and the high stakes of those um, tests that, you know, like the standardized tests that happen and how it puts a lot of undue stress on students and on staff, especially given the, the current situation that we're in. And so um, we will continue to advocate that there is flexibility for students and for staff this year. And um, so that would be our, our intervention would be to continue to advocate. And yes, we are, are hearing from families who are quite worried um, and they are being very patient and very gracious with their authority in terms of understanding that there are tens of thousands of students they are now trying to create a, an alternative system for. Um, but you know, as you can be gracious and patient, but at the end of the day, that's your baby that you're worried about and that is struggling and doesn't have that access right now. And so it can be extremely frustrating. So thank you very much for that question. My next question comes from Laurie Schultz. Physical distancing has been emphasized as a must in preventing the spread of COVID-19. Schools like space, ventilation, and large class sizes, how is uh, ASCA advocating and what responses have you received? So those are all of the concerns that we have raised repeatedly um, throughout these months. And so it is, you know, and we hear that echoed by the people reaching out to us and from our members um, that, that again, um, 
And so we have encouraged innovation in terms of using spaces uh, that are not traditionally schools um, to be able to spread students out. We have encouraged funding to go to increasing ventilation within the classroom, whether that's through the whole school or individual classrooms, whatever would work for that school community. Um, and, it, and it really does come down to funding and innovation. And so those are the pieces that we've really advocated for. And what we have heard from, from stakeholders and from the ministry repeatedly is that student safety, uh, student and staff safety is a very big priority and they simply do not have the resources or the funding to meet the requirements that would allow them to socially distance, um, which would be physically distancing, physically distancing the students um, to the two meters um, and that it would be an overhaul of the whole system to try to um, change the spaces that they teach in, etc. Um, and and I understand the limitations and I am not naive. Uh, I know that it would take a lot and I know that it would still not be ideal. But, you know, um, when you hear of students in class, you know, young students in classrooms of 35 and you know that that virus can hurt them or someone that they dearly love, you think, you know, I still question um, that we have not done more to increase social distancing in classrooms. Um, that is that is something that we continue to advocate for um, as often as we can. Thank you for that question. Yeah, and if I can just interject here, yes. we see a lot of schools closing, right? Or, or I think in Lethbridge Chinook, Chinook High School, 200 students um, within the first week were, were sent home. Um, and we see that across the country where schools are just Yes. And so if I could just piggyback on that, thank you for that comment. And so, and so, yes. And so there is the experience of, you know, we're refining the, the reporting system um, and the alert system as we move through this. And so many families are saying, you know, we expected there to be some cases, right? And, and we knew that that was going to happen. And there's a little bit of relief in that um, at this point, it is our understanding that the majority of the cases are from community spread, not in school transmission. Um, so many families are continuing to send their kids to school and to be really optimistic. Um, but on the flip side of that, um, and I really do respect um, the Chief Medical Officer of Health and her diligence in having a low threshold for declaring an outbreak. Um, and then, and then, you know, I think originally we had anticipated that it would only be the students sitting directly around a positive case that might have to isolate, but it's hundreds upon hundreds of students across the province that are having to isolate. And I recognize that that, that may not seem sustainable long-term, but in the short-term, um, we're, we're keeping families safe, right? We're keeping them from spreading that virus. And so um, I really appreciate that comment. Thank you. Our next question comes from Lori Schultz. Are you aware um, if education, educational assistants have been rehired? What is your understanding of how schools will manage accessing substitute teachers if there are breakouts in schools? And so, yes, and so the funding that was distributed federally, um, it is my understanding it has already been given to school authorities and that they were actually encouraged by the ministry to go ahead and make the additional um, resources available within their school communities even before that funding came through because it was guaranteed. Um, and so, and they identified priority areas which included, you know, supporting children with learning needs and, and so that would trickle into support staff being rehired um, or hired. And so, that is what's supposed to be happening in school authorities is they're supposed to be assessing their need and which is why we're really encouraging those school boards to actually connect with their school councils too because if you listen to parents you will hear that their children are not being supported with learning needs and they desperately need that those support staff and they needed them yesterday so let's get on that right now please and thank you and so um so i'm I am optimistic that within the next month that there will be support staff across the province hired to help children um, with the federal funding that was given. Um, and I really appreciate the local board autonomy that was given so that they could decide what was best for their local communities, but I am optimistic that that will happen. And in terms of the subs, I, I do not have clarity around that. And I have not heard that necessarily from the stakeholders I'm talking with. And we're continuing to sort of ask those questions, right? Because um, Subs have a really high exposure risk whenever they're going from school to school, especially if they're filling in for, you know, an area that already had some COVID cases. And so um, I, I don't know what that looks like. And I keep 
looking for those answers. And I would really like for the clarity to be made public so that anybody can tell me, um, you know, even not even if you're not deeply entrenched in education, you can tell me what's happening at a school and how our students and staff are protected. Thank you for that question. Our next question is from Vanessa, uh, who's with CTV Lethbridge. Um, can you just go over some of the impacts this has on teachers and what they believe some of the challenges are for teaching perspective? So our, so our organization actually does not represent teachers. We represent parents on school councils. Um, that being said, um, so we understand that teachers um, have, the, have the additional daily task of uh, cleaning the cleaning surfaces within their classroom. Um, they have to help the children follow health protocols. So, you know, keeping your mask on, washing your hands when you need to, and uh, trying to keep them socially distanced as best as possible. And, um, and, and if you think about that, if you're one person in a global pandemic trying to manage cleaning and the health and safety of 30 small people, or, you know, and, and to me, even teenagers or small people, um, that is extremely taxing emotionally and physically in your day. And oh, by the way, you have curriculum to get through and you might have to navigate any of their learning needs, any of their behavior needs and um, any of their mental health, right? That they might be experiencing in or out of school as well as supporting their families. And so teachers have always um, had a variety of roles pinned onto them. And now um, they have additional like frontline worker, um, mental health assessor, like all of these things are being pinned onto them. And I feel like um, I feel like we need to be really supporting our teachers as best we can and asking how they're doing, because it's not easy. And we're asking a lot of them. And guess what? They're still showing up. And I know that many people will say, well, it's because they get a paycheck. You can get a paycheck anywhere. Many of these teachers show up because it is their passion and, and we greatly respect teachers and the work they do. Thank you so much for that question. Our next question is from Laurie Schultz. It is my understanding that much of the PPE provided by the province was substandard and not usable. Do school boards have a budget for this? Is the federal government funding uh, applicable? Uh, yes. And so I actually don't know. I've heard I've heard mixed um, mixed opinions in terms of was it adequate um, was like in terms of quality or in supply. Um, so some have said, yeah, we're good to go. And some have said, mm, I don't really understand what we were given. And so and I don't and I don't think it's that there is, and I'm, I don't believe that it is that there's a difference in the quality that's being um distributed i think it might be perception and so i'm not entirely sure to be to be very frank but we have been reassured by the provincial government that what they offered um was needed was of high quality and was greatly appreciated and so that's what we've heard and uh yes yeah, so the federal funding can be used by school boards to uh, purchase additional cleaning supplies staff related to cleaning um hand sanitizer ppe all of those things that they need to make their school um safe throughout the school year for students and staff um, they can use that federal funding for thank you so much for the question our next question comes from beth mundell what mental health issues have come to your attention and what are your council's recommendation and so um, anxiety, right? So anxiety, exhaustion, fatigue, and that's happening across um, uh, students, parents, teachers, admin, system leads, um, volunteers. Um, though we're, we're all experiencing that um, in some level. And so our recommendation has been um, to, con you know, to continue to um, First of all, in your personal life, to continue to build community, even if you have to socially distance, and um, and then additionally, there's resources on our website for mental health. And then we are bringing that up um, at the table. And we and so that was one of the reasons why I actually chose, um, I think it was 17-1 as one of, the res uh, was one of the advocacy policies that I really wanted to highlight is because we're, we're having the, yeah, 17-1, support for mental health content and awareness in the K-12 curriculum in schools. Um, we are having those conversations with stakeholders and with the ministry all the time about um, the importance of mental health. And so previously, whenever we had a chance to talk to the curriculum review panel, 
we really talked about mental health need to be needing to be embedded in the curriculum. Um, because if that's happening, if that's something that you're taught and that's something that you are familiar with and you have the resources and concepts with daily, um, then you are able to advocate for yourself. You're able to utilize resources better. And so those children need to be be experiencing and learning that daily, not just putting a Band-Aid on once they have a problem. Um, so thank you so very much for that question. Our next question comes from Knut Peterson. Given the fact that Alberta already has more education option than any other province, what are your thoughts on the importance of public versus private schools in terms of our social fabric? That is a very good question. I, I really appreciate that. And so, yes, we do have a lot of choice in education. And so, um, and currently, um, private private schools also receive public funding. And so they technically fall under, um, you know, whenever we say public, we are saying public, separate, charter, independent, and francophone. And so um, it's an amalgamation of public, the, the umbrella. And so, um, it's, it's hard for me to say because we actually have um, a resolution coming forward for our members to discuss in terms of funding for private school. Um, but um, as, and you can never take your hat off. And so I'm still here sitting here as the ASCA president, but um, it, is, it is generally my um, belief that parents make the best decisions for their children. And I believe that equitable and accessible public education um, should be free. Um, so that all students can access it. And um, so I really appreciate that very delicate comment. And I think that, or that very, very delicate question. And I think that in terms of the fabric of our society, um, it is, we, we have to stop separating the haves and the have nots. And we have to start really coming together to create global citizens. And so I believe that a strong public education system does that. And I think that it's incredibly vital for us to have a strong public education system. So thank you for that question. Our next question comes from Mark Goodall. How is the COVID situation affecting the French immersion programs, seeing as there is a shortage of teachers and where verbal interchange between teacher and student is paramount? And then his follow-up question, are masks interfering in verbal comprehension and exchange? Yes, and so um, there's another organization, uh, FPFA, that really, um, uh, really um, advocates for francophone families. But that being said, we do have francophone school councils as our members. And so we've heard from a handful of them that are saying that it is really difficult um, right now because um, many families don't know who their teacher is going to be. Or if they do know their teacher, they may not have them throughout the entire year if they're accessing online. And so um, getting a getting a francophone teacher is vital for program implementation and that's not necessarily something that's happening all across the province and we're seeing that also happen in you know ib programming and other alternative streams as well but um that that the teacher the teacher may not be familiar with teaching that alternative program so it's not just an issue for the francophones but it's extremely vital for them and and it's not something that i'm that I personally have seen adequately addressed yet. And I'm hoping to see that happen within the next few weeks, that those students are very much supported. And in terms of masks, um, I've not really heard any complaints in terms of program delivery around masks, um, unless that child might have an auditory issue. And then, and then there is delivery happening specific to that child. But in general, I've not heard any complaints. And I think that children and teachers are resilient and they're making it work. And um, and they're and they're moving on and and I'm hearing I am hearing wonderful stories about um, students' experiences from students themselves, from their families, and from the teachers who are witnessing um, their experience in these first few weeks back to school. So thank you for your question. Our next question is Beth Mundell. The UCP government reduced funding for early intervention for children with disabilities, making their early years more difficult with long-term detrimental impacts. What are your recommendations? Um, to give more funding. We just keep saying that it is incredibly vital. And there, you know, we've, 
We've posed this question a few times that there are competing narratives happening, especially for families, because their school boards are telling them that we've had cuts to education. We, we're not getting the funding that we need, and here's how it's going to impact your school and your student you know, this year. And then we're hearing from our provincial representatives that there, that no, there, there were no um, reductions in funding and that we're using the new funding model and that it just is appropriated differently within the delivery of the, of the funds. And um, so when you're a parent and you're hearing those competing narratives, it can be very, very hard. And so we've really encouraged families to reach out to their MLAs and say, um, you know, here's what's happening in my community and here's what we need um, in terms of funding for education. And unfortunately, we're, we're hearing from some families that they are not being well received by their MLAs. They're not getting responses. Um, they're not being received in terms of appointments um, or they're getting the same information back of, well, there's been no cuts to education and and so you should be fine. And so for parents, that's extremely frustrating when your child needs um, intervention and when your child needs support for learning. And so I feel like families are doing the same thing that we're doing um, in terms of just continually advocating for that additional funding because it simply needs to be there. Those children deserve the best start to education and they deserve support throughout their education career. And if we put the money in now, those students thrive they thrive and then they grow up and they become the wonderful citizens that they were always meant to be. So why would we shortchange them? What budget is worth um, balancing if your citizens are suffering? So thank you very much for that question. Our next question is from Laura Schultz. Ideologically, the UCP government appears to advocate privatization in general. Is ASCA concerned about public education being phased out to transition to privatized education? And are you able to comment? I really appreciate that question. And so um, I, I, would, I would not hazard a guess that would imply that our government is trying to phase out public education. What I would say is that Albertans simply will not will not um, have buy into that. Um, so Albertans themselves, all of their representatives and uh, organizations such as ourselves and the other stakeholders that represent them, we, we simply, um, we know that public education is vital and important for our citizens and we would not stand idly by and let that happen. Um, nor is that what I'm currently experiencing at those tables in terms of the conversations. Um, but were any government, this or any future, to do that, I do not believe that Albertans would stand idly by and let their public education system be taken from them. So thank you very much for that question. Knut Peterson, uh, slightly off topic, what are your thoughts of all male group advisors on the new curriculum choices named by the education minister? I think that is perfectly on topic. Thank you so, thank you so very much for that question. And so, um, and so it is. It is alarming that we are in 2020 and we know better. We know better than to have the same voices and the same backgrounds and the same experiences at any table. We know that diversity and inclusion is vital um, to creating a world that we all can thrive in. And so I don't think that it is in the best interest of children. And that is the only reason that I do anything. And so if it's not in the best interest of children, then those voices need to be changed up and there needs to be more inclusivity in terms of gender and representation at that table. So thank you very much for that uh, question. Um, Knut continues on to asks, ask on the same, on the same question. Um, is your organization being consulted on the new curriculum choices? Uh, Yes, and so I don't exactly recall what that's going to look like, but I do know that we've been told that we will be part of that process. And so previous to this, we were heavily involved in the curriculum redesign and then in the um, and then in the curriculum rollout to parents and to get their feedback and to let them look at it. And so previous to this, we were extremely involved and then um, we, we were invited to um, give some feedback to the curriculum review panel. And then we're anticipating that we will continue to be engaged as this process moves forward. Um, and we look forward to that. Um, and, and we're happy to be part of this opportunity. Um, we want it to be meaningful work 
Um, and we do not expect to be a checkbox where they can say that they've consulted with us. We genuinely um, expect to be meaningfully engaged and to have our put input incorporated. And so we are really looking forward to that opportunity. Thank you for that question. Our next question comes from uh, Bav Mando. The CBE has teachers teaching in online and in person, reducing numbers of teachers available, resulting in one chemistry teacher having 45 students in his class. What advocacy follows? I think that we continue to have those discussions as the, so we'll see as um, the weeks unfold and that federal funding is utilized, what staffing um, lands on for, for students. Um, but if in the, the next few weeks we see that that's not being adjusted, we will we will definitely continue to have those conversations about how um, classroom size and composition need to be taken into account for in-person students and for online students. Um, because, um, and I can say this, because five of my children, one is right beside me, um, five of my children are currently learning online. And so um, it's, it's it's different, but it's the same. The teacher still needs to be giving instruction and providing support to those students. So when you have, first of all, if you have more than 20, you know, bless you. And if you have 30 or 40, that is an unsurmountable task for these teachers to have to navigate. And for those students, how do they build bonds? How do they connect with their teacher? So um, if we see that that's still happening within the next few weeks, whenever the federal funds have been allocated for staffing um, within school boards, sorry, by school boards, um, then um, we'll continue to advocate for class size and composition um, online as well as in person. Thank you for that question. Our next question is from Laurie Schultz. Will funding for online students impact funding to schools next year under the new funding formula? And so we've asked that question. And so what we're hearing is that there will be some grace or some, um, you know, um, there will be some flexibility in terms of numbers um, because, um, and because it's not it's not an accurate reflection of our first year of this funding formula. And so, um, you know, if you're if you're online or in person, you're still counted as a student within your district. Right. Um, but what about those families who maybe um, neither of those options worked really well for them and they had to change the district for some reason, but they want to come back to their district next year or maybe they chose to homeschool, you know, where the the parent themselves instructs and is not receiving the teacher um, assistance daily. Um, so how will that impact the number? So we've had those conversations and it has been our understanding that um, the flexibility will be taken into account for next year. So thank you for that question. I don't see any more questions in, in our queue, but we still have a couple of minutes. So I'd like to um, ask if more people have questions to um, ask of our speaker. And in the meantime, I'd like to ask you a question if I may. Um, sure. Um, in your PowerPoint, and let me just uh, move to that um, for the viewers, in your PowerPoint, um, on the um, general meeting that you're having in October, you mentioned that there's a proposed advocacy resolution. Um, could you share some of those resolutions with us? Are they public? Oh, they're, they're public. Um... Um, if anybody from my office is watching, if you could send me that link right now to my phone, I'll pull that up. So it's an entire package, and I'm very sorry for being underprepared in this. I should have had those to speak on those. Um, if you want to ask me something else, I will try to find it on my website real quick, or if somebody sends it to me, then I'll be able to kind of go over that with us. Okay. Um, but thank you for that, yes. Okay. Um, there is another question that's come in. Uh, by Barb Phillips. Are substitute teachers in adequate supply given that so many are older retired teachers? I know of one sub who was booked for all this week already. So, um, yeah, so I'm hearing some concerns uh, around substitute teaching, uh, substitute teaching, and we're we're also hearing concerns from districts. You know, um, as as we heard previously, where there's not enough online teachers. And so, um, so there are some concerns around subs because if there's not enough teachers to, to fill the classrooms and the online classes, um, where are we going to get these subs from, and what is it, and what does that look like for them? And so, um, I need, I'm just texting my ED. Resolutions for October 17th. There we go. Um, 
Um, so there is some concern around that. And, and again, we don't have the answers and when we're asking the questions. So to be fair, we are asking those questions and we're trying to give grace and patience to those system leads because they're, they're navigating a thousand moving parts, right? Um, but we kind of need those answers really soon because there are subs already needing to be called in and are we gonna have enough to last us the year, right? So thank you for that question. And I'm just waiting on her. Um, so if you have any more, I would be happy to answer them. No, we've got um, a couple of thank yous and we've got Knut Peterson reminding us that next week, um, Bridget Sterling will be presenting on education, particularly in regards to privatization and curriculum. And so he's hoping that the video will be of the same high quality as we have today. And, um, but that's it for questions. So maybe, um, have you? I have the document, yes. Oh, good, me okay. See if I can just pull it up. Okay, so um, let's see. Let's, I'll just read a couple. So there's, so whenever, so when you access it online, you're gonna see the background information. So that just sort of tells you what's been happening and why this is coming forward. And there's some, uh, you know, um, whereas statements. So, um, so the first one is on um, provincial and federal legislation related to vaping products. And that the sponsor is the ask a board. You know what, I'm gonna not do ours. I'm gonna go to some of our member ones. And so P2004, achieving equitable public education. And that the sponsor is Ecole Sam Livingston School Council. And so let me go down to 04. I have like four devices open. So I really appreciate your patience while I try to do this. Okay, here we go. So, um, and this was amended February 19th, 2020. And so there's a bunch of background information that includes growing influence of technology and, dig and digitization in society, growing income equality, increase in children with living with mental health conditions, shift towards public dollars for public education. And so there's a bunch of because questions and then here's their requests that we would be, um, that our members would be voting on. We request that the Minister of Education define public education as the public, francophone, and separate school systems. We further request that ASCA define public education as the public, francophone, and separate school systems and use this definition when interpreting existing and new resolution statements such as all schools and school boards. We further request that the Minister of Education ensure all schools have a full, inclusive, and balanced curriculum including but not limited to arts, music, science, history, language arts, additional languages, mathematics, and physical education. We further request that the Minister of Education reduce class sizes to bring them in line with the recommendations in the final report from the Alberta, from Alberta's Commission on Learning of 2003 and provide adequate supports and resources reflective of individual classroom composition and complexity. We further request that the Minister of Education integrate charter schools into the public education systems, making them accountable to locally elected trustees and school boards and ensuring access to all students. We further request that the Ministry of Education, Children's Services, Community and Social Services, Justice and Solicitor General and Health provide integrated services for students including medical and social services that help all children arrive at and remain in school ready to learn effectively and grow holistically. And then there's um, the last that we further request that the Minister of Education remove funding from all private schools except those that are designated special education private schools whose sole purpose is to serve students who are identified with a mild, moderate, or severe disability and reallocate those funds to public education. So keep in mind that is one resolution from wow. one school council, right? But those are the conversations that we have at our general meetings. And, and those are the in-depth analysis of our um, education system and how students are impacted that we have. So our members, they are parents and parents are engaged because quite frankly, they have the most skin in the game because these are their children. And so, um, and, and we have more, but this is just one. And so um, the, the, the document is available on the website and um, in the comment section, I'll try to like go and um, tag the, the document so that it's easier for people who are interested to find. So thank you very much for that question around um, an example of our resolution coming forward on October 17th. Great. So um, go vote, folks. Become involved. And thank you very much, Brandy, for your presentation with us today. Um, and I, um, I didn't have my mic on. Oops. 
so people didn't hear me. But next week we have Bridget Stolling, who will be presenting on education, particularly in regards to privatization and curriculum. And um, Laurie Schultz, uh, thank you very much for the information, informative presentation and information for upcoming ASCA activities. And thank you for your dedication and the work that you do. And Beth also says thank you very much, Brandy. And I would also like to thank you very much. And before we end this live stream, do you have any parting words for us? Um, just thank you for your time today. And um, education is what will create um, will create the, the citizens that serve us and lead us in the future. And so public education is extremely vital. And so any way that you can support that through volunteering or um, going and talking to MLAs right now, that would be really important. Um, even if you don't have children in, or children or grandchildren or you know nephews in the education mm -hmm. system, um, the quality of education these children receive today affects your tomorrow. So thank you. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Okay, we'll end the live stream here. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.